If you weren't here last Sunday and you've heard the podcast, it's just like you need the gift of interpretation (laughs) because there was a lot of drinking going on and um, I'm about to explain a little bit more about what that means. Um, We've had a couple of weeks that have been pretty outstanding and God's been doing some stuff in our midst where he's, he's really turned up the, the sense of his presence and his manifested glory in the place. And it's difficult to talk about without feeling a little impacted by it. <laughs> yeah, encouragement's not good. <laughs> no. um, oh, hello. <laughs> there was a lot of that. <laughs> but there were adults doing that too. Hello, Sarah. Just let her keep doing that. See, Jesus did say, come like a child and you'll enter the kingdom. And if you don't come like a child, it's going to be super hard for you. And um, when the manifested glory comes, we experience stuff. And for some of you in the room who have been here, you would think, well, it's about two or three years too late. Why didn't this happen way sooner? And For others, you may not have seen some of that stuff before and kind of gone, what was with those people that I thought were normal and kind of fine and really nice people and what happened to them? Um, Because they're doing some super epic weird stuff. Well, I want to try and explain a little bit of that first and then I I want to just unpack a little bit about what I feel God's doing. Um, Because while I was, my face was having an intimate experience with the carpet last Sunday... Um, God really spoke to me about something and said, this is what I'm doing and I want to share that shortly um, and then minister into that. But first, I want to talk into what we've been experiencing and what is that about and how do we navigate stuff like that as a community? Because in the past, churches can divide over that stuff and we don't want that. And I'm not sensing that's going to happen at all. I feel nothing but, you know, a real deep unity in our midst. But... um, but it's important that we navigate this well together. Um, one of the things that you would hear a lot of if you heard the podcast or if you're here was a lot of laughter. Um, a lot of seemingly perhaps irreverent laughter at inappropriate moments. And, you know, this is church. This is supposed to be nice and orderly. And God is a God of decency and order. It's just that his idea of order is really different to ours. Like really, really different. Um, our idea of, of order is often clinical, boring and lifeless and his idea of order is with shrieks, evil spirits came out and people are getting healed and delivered everywhere and there was much joy in the city. That's his idea of order. Um, so, you know, it would be good for us to calibrate our idea of order to that. But why, why laughter? Pfft, I don't know. It's good. It's better than... A lot of other things. Uh, I want to suggest yeah, the kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy. And joy is way more than just, well, I've got it down in my heart. So deep you can't find it. <laughs> um, joy looks like something. To me, laughter is the natural response to the goodness of God. When, <laughs> when, when you actually... Stop and experience the goodness of God. To me, laughter is one of the most natural manifestations because he is so much better than we think. Psalm 4 verse 7, it says, You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and new wine abound. In other words, the joy is greater than the joy of lots and lots of wine. If you read Song of Solomon, that's a dangerous book, actually. It's you know, often called it the sealed section of the scriptures um, because of the whole, the metaphor around that, you know, the physical romance um, between the bride and the bridegroom, yet it's such a deep prophetic picture of Christ and his bride, the church, and this, this romantic type relationship where the bride is wooed, like wooed by the bridegroom into the presence where it talks about all sorts of weird and wonderful things in there. 
But when you understand the metaphor, um, it opens up some really, really powerful stuff. I'm not going to dive into that tonight. I don't really have time for that. But I want to just look, I want to start in Acts chapter 2. Just to show that what we're experiencing, what we have experienced, isn't abnormal. It goes a long, long, long way back. Long way back. So Acts chapter 2. This is a fairly familiar passage. So when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, them being the 120. They were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of violent wind, which I think is hilarious. Like, is that just me or is it... That just sounds funny. About five people in the room understood that. And the rest of you are really way serious. Okay, well, let's just keep moving and let's see. Suddenly, like the sound of blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, what on earth was that? I actually believe they were angelic beings that came to sit on top of them because Scripture says that angels are winds and servants of fire. And they were angels that came and delivered the presence of God over them, yet it manifested over them like fire. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. Because each heard in their own language, each heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, "Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cap- Judea, Cappuccino, Cafe Latte, Short Black, whatever all of these others are. I can't read those right now. Um, Cretans." <laughs> It'd be a bummer if you were from Crete and you just get called a cretin your whole life. Um, where are we? End of verse 11. And we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and they said, they've had too much wine. So the experience that the father chose to birth the church on was one where a whole lot of people looked on and said, those people are drunk. That was the experience of the birth of church. This was not tame. This was not a beautiful prayer book meeting where everything was predictable. The sound man was just on fire and everything just went so well. Everything segued in and out. The altar call was beautiful. You know, this this was messy. And people looked on and went, huh? They've been drinking. They had been, just not what they thought they'd been drinking. So when the Spirit is poured out, there are levels of the presence of God. There are levels of His manifest presence. Now, theologically, God has to be everywhere. Okay? He's omnipresent. So theologically, He is everywhere. He has to be everywhere. But His manifested presence isn't everywhere. His manifested presence increases with people that know how to host Him well and who can handle the weightiness of his presence that he pours out. Because it, it's not just this kind of random thing. It has, an, it has an effect. He has an effect. Holy Spirit's not an it. He's a he. He has an effect. And when his spirit is poured out, it does things. It changes things. It breaks things, especially church meetings. And the reality is sometimes it's weird. Sometimes manifestations happen. Yeah, Acts 8 verse 7, I alluded to it a moment ago, um, under the ministry of Philip, where with shrieks, evil spirits came flying out of people. It's like, that's not a tame church meeting where everything was decently in order. Yeah, this happened around Jesus' ministry. Jesus would be speaking and someone who's demon-possessed would start screaming out and, you know, they'd get delivered on the spot. And yet we kind of think for some reason that that's not normal when that happens in church. Because it's like we've adopted a template that's different to what Jesus and the Scriptures show us. So when people manifest, what is going on? I want to suggest there's a a number of different kind of manifestations. One is the, the kind when the Spirit's power is touching someone 
so significantly and so deeply that they actually lose control of their own function and their own body. Now, if I was to... I can't see one. There's a PowerPoint over here. If I was to go over to this PowerPoint and take that thing off and expose the wires and attach my hand to the the exposed wires, I mean, I may trip the circuit board and Hinchy could fix that, but there would be power flowing through my body in a way that my body would find difficult to handle. You make, make sense? Sometimes when the Spirit touches people in power, that's what happens. And that is, His power is so strong, they lose control of their own body and they do all sorts of weird and wonderful things. And sometimes it's difficult to tell the difference between when that's God doing that and when a demon's coming out, if you're just looking with your eyes, which is why we need people with discernment when the Spirit is being poured out, because all sorts of stuff flies in that sort of environment. So that's one kind of manifestation. And, and often we think that every, we, we kind of put everything into that category, but there's, there's more than that. It, it's not as, not as simple, if you like, as, as that. So in that instance, the manifestation is the power of the Holy Spirit that is that strong that the person's body is just kind of at the mercy of it. That's one kind. But then there's another kind, and that is my own personal reaction to the strength of his presence. So for me, a lot of what was happening last week was that. And I had choice in that moment. And the choice to actually stand and do what I knew I was meant to do in the middle of it was actually really, really flipping difficult because it would have been a whole lot easier for me to just go, let's just minister and I'd go on the floor and I would have had a lovely time. Um, But I knew that there was something that we needed to do. And I can control it if I want to. In other words, that is a manifestation of my soul and my body and my flesh, if you like, in response to the strength of his spirit's presence. And I can choose to shut that down. I can choose to let it happen. It's a bit like in 1 Corinthians 14, where Paul talks about the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. In other words, when people say, the spirit just overtook me and I was kind of out of control and had to speak this thing. And Paul goes, actually, no, the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophets. You, You often have choice. And that was, that was a little bit of what was happening for me last week. I had choice. I had a level of, a level of control, and some probably wished I had more than I had. But <laughs> I kind of wish I had more than I had at times as well. Um, that wasn't as bad as... There was one other meeting I spoke at. It was up at Madawi Baptist with some very, very dear friends of mine. And I'd spoken at another church in the morning. I was driving up. They're up at Raymond Terrace. And all along the freeway... Um, you know, we'd had a great morning and, you know, I was just worshipping in the car and getting ready for the next night. And as I'm driving up, there's this ute that is alongside me the entire time with this dog sticking its head and its face and its tongue kind of flapping everywhere out the window. And the more I looked at the dog, the more drunk in the Holy Spirit I got. So by the time I got to the church, I had to, I had to do, I was part of like a, an elders board meeting thing and pfft, that was just, I don't know what happened there. <laughs> and then, and then I got into church, and um, it was it was recorded, unfortunately. And somewhere, somewhere has the evidence of that. And I'm just praying that that gets accidentally lost. Um, but I know one of the things that happened that night was a young girl who had been really struggling with experiencing God and struggling with a whole lot of stuff personally encountered a level of the presence that she had never encountered before, and it was it was a monumental breakthrough for her. Um, so I'm kind of willing to look like a bit of a doofus for that, um, as much as I was wishing that it wasn't recorded and there was no evidence. But that's another kind, and that is my reaction to the strength of his presence. I can control it if I want to. And there are times when it's really sensible to not and to go with it, and there are other times when you're on a mission and you have things that you're meant to do that you kind of drink in the strength of his presence but stand in the middle of it. Another one is sometimes people fake it to fit in. <laughs> let's, let's get real. In an environment of freedom, all seeds grow. Everything grows. So some people use their freedom to kind of fake it and to do what other people are doing to try and fit in. Is that good? Is that bad? It's just what happens. And in an environment of freedom, often people start there and then they end up experiencing and that's kind of good. So it's not like we sit back and we judge people who are doing that. If they're distracting a whole lot of people, sure, we might pastor that gently, but freedom isn't freedom unless it's freedom. 
That was a good line, actually, wasn't it? That's not written down there. But freedom isn't freedom unless it's freedom. And all of us want to learn, and you know, 1 Corinthians 14, you know, Paul talks about we want to manage our freedom well for the good of the whole. But not everyone knows how to do that yet. And that's where, as a body, we help that. So sometimes people fake it. Sometimes people do stuff as an act of, like as a prophetic act of faith so that they can step in. But again, it's something that they're choosing. So in other words, when you see stuff happening, when you see people laughing, you see people crying, you see people jumping, mooing, all sorts of weird and wonderful manifestations have happened. Um, and I'll read a, an example of that in a moment. But um, it's not always just they've lost control and sometimes it is. Kind of does it matter? I don't know. But I just want to be kind of clear that that's what happens in an environment of freedom when the presence is there. Sometimes absolutely nothing is happening on the outside and a whole lot's happening on the inside. So part of the point here is, and this is a really important thing for us as a community, is you can't judge what God's doing by what's happening on the outside. We've got to look to the heart. And it's all about what God's doing in the heart. Because I could be sitting here absolutely still, looking like nothing's going on and having the most incredible encounter or revelation that I've ever had in my life. And at other times, I could be jumping, shouting, whatever, and actually nothing's really happening. So it's not about what's happening on the outside. More on that in a moment. But stuff like this has happened a lot in history. So Charles Finney, many of us have heard of Charles Finney. Incredible revivalist preacher in the US. Um, He was born in the late 1700s and um, ministered, I think he died in about 1875, so ministered through the 1800s. He describes his baptism in the Holy Spirit like this. He said, It was like a wave of electricity going through and through me, and immediately afterwards, an ordinarily serious elder in the church fell into a most spasmodic laughter. It seemed as if it were impossible for him to keep from laughing from the very bottom of his heart. This is back in the mid-1800s. So this isn't new. This isn't something, you know, for those of you that have followed Moves of God at all, you know, obviously Toronto that broke out in 1991 um, over in Toronto, Canada, it was characterised, it was often called the Laughing Revival and as a result from the religious church cops so much flack. Um, but that, that, that revival is still happening to this day. It's still happening over there. Um, it's one of the, I think it's one of the longest Moves of God in recorded history in terms of its sustaining. It's absolutely incredible. And it's from that move where people were laughing, barking like dogs, mooing, cackling like chickens, like ridiculous, ridiculous stuff. Out of that movement essentially was our understanding of the Father's heart and the desire of the Father to deeply heave people's hearts. That came out of that move to the level of strength that we have it today. It wasn't absent before that, but it brought a major emphasis to the body of Christ that wasn't there before. And so many people got offended by the package that it came in. And um, I mean, I had, I'll come to that in a moment. Now, you may have heard um, in various times language around this thing of drinking. And for some, <laughs> for some people, that can, that can sound irreverent, it can sound offensive, it can sound all sorts of things. And for other people, it's like, woohoo, bring it on, I'll drink to that. But let me try and explain for a moment what that is about. So in Scripture, the, the Holy Spirit is metaphored as both water and wine. Both water and wine. So if you go to John chapter 7, 37 to 39, Jesus says, If anyone is thirsty, me, come to me and drink, and out of their innermost being will flow rivers of living water. And then verse 39 says, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those... People would get that. We would receive him later. I completely lost the exact... I I was doing fine until the... um, You get the idea that the spirit here is called water. Mm, It's getting worse. I may have even marked it in my Bible. Uh, John chapter 7, 
Um, on the last and greatest day of the feast, verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Because up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus said, come to me and drink. And then he says, what I'm talking about is the Spirit. I'm not talking about a natural river here. I'm using a metaphor to say, come to me and drink. And then wine. Now, the, the metaphor of wine right throughout the Scripture is a metaphor of both the Spirit, the move of the Holy Spirit, um, and of course, of joy. So if you look at um, Matthew chapter 9, 16 and 17, it says something really good. And I'll just turn there because I'm not quite sure what it is. Okay. So, yeah, I got it. I'm back. Not really, but um, it's the bit where Jesus is talking about wine and wineskins. So he says, Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins because if they do, the skins will burst. The wine, the wine, the wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. Now they pour new wine into new wineskins and both are preserved. Now he's talking metaphorically about a move of the Holy Spirit and a structure which contains it. In other words, if you try and pour a new move of the Holy Spirit onto an old church structure, it's going to break it. And a lot of what the Father has been doing in the church over the last 10 to 20 years is remolding the church. He's remolding the wineskin so he can pour out the wine that he's wanting to pour out ahead of the great harvest of souls. So wine is a metaphor for, for the Spirit being poured out. And again, if you read Song of Solomon, it's all through there. But uh, even Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 3, 20... <laughs> That, that way instead of that way that time. Bless you. Um, Jeremiah said, My heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I am like a drunken man, like a man overcome by wine because of the Lord and his holy words. So this isn't just, it didn't just come at Pentecost. This came before in Jeremiah as well. So this was not new. Um, 1 Corinthians 12.13 says that we've all been baptised by one spirit into one body and we have all been given one spirit to drink. So this concept of drinking isn't just something that people made up who were being irreverent and silly. Um, it's actually a concept that is well and truly there embedded in Scripture. And the reality is if you drink a lot, you get really, really affected. That's just the nature of it. And yeah, we're... In Ephesians 5, I think it's verse 18, where Paul says, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the kind of sense is, drunk with wine, drunk with the Holy Spirit. It's that, don't do that one, that's not going to help you at all. This one, <laughs> do that. Because it's, it, it's good. It, it's, it's, it's really good. Now, the... There is a fine line around this whole thing um, in terms of what we don't want to do is treat his presence flippantly because he's still the holy God. He is still the one who Ananias and Sapphira kind of messed around with and they were carried out in a box. You know, he's still that guy. You know, he's still the one where you touch the ark, you got fried like a mosquito hitting a mosquito coil. That, that's, this is still him. Yet... At the same time, he tells us to come like little children and, um, and he's... And, uh, what was he... This is good. What we don't want to be is flippant about him and his presence to the point we're dishonouring, but what we also don't want to is overanalyze everything we do and say for fear of that because we're in a New Testament paradigm where the cross is taking care of all of our stupid stuff as well. It's, and it, there's always this balance between holy awe and just childlike joy. And when you're in childlike joy, you're not analysing everything you say and thinking, is this okay? You know, when you see a little kid in the presence of a loving father just 
flipping around. They're not stopping every moment and going, hmm, I wonder if this is okay to say. I'm having a lot of fun. I'd really like to say that. I wonder if that's okay. I'm going to give it a try and just see what the reaction I get. And then we'll go from there. You don't see that. You just see this free flow of freedom. And that's, that's what we want. So we want to come as children, but we want to grow in mature love. So we want to be mature in love and childlike in our expression. Now, when the Spirit is doing stuff and when people are doing stuff, there's a number of responses that we can have. So being offended is one of the most uh, obvious expressions that the church has chosen over the ages to the movement of the Spirit. It's, 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 it's not meant to be this hard. Um, typically speaking, what has happened as in progressive moves of God is when a new move of God comes, the ones who are the leaders of the old move of God persecute the new one because it didn't look like what the old one did. And... We're in the early 90s, when the vineyard movement was first starting up in, um, and was first coming to Australia, it was the movement I was actually a part of at the time that were utterly vitriolic in their, no, we don't want, and literally said to these people, we do not want you in our country, get on a plane and go. It didn't quite stop them because it still happened, which is really quite good because otherwise we may not be experiencing to the same level some of the stuff we're experiencing but we, we typically get offended. Now, there's two ways that we, we can get offended. One, I mean, there's obviously the, that's weird. I have no idea what that is. And I don't know if I want to know. That's one. But typically, we get offended when something that's happening for someone else isn't happening for me. Now, we can get offended because of how, like, we can get religiously offended. Or we can kind of get, we can get judgmentally offended or rejection offended. Let me explain this. So the religious offense is, well, God wouldn't do that. This is church. I can't remember if it was the day I got really, really drunk on the way up because of the dog. Um, Because it was was the funniest darn dog I've ever seen, especially with its head out the window and its face just going everywhere. It's hilarious. Anyway. um, But it was funnier than it should have been. Because... The funny thing is, often when the Spirit gets poured upon you, there's, there's like one or, uh, this is my experience anyway, but there's one or two things that are way funnier than they really are. And no matter, the more you try and stop it, the worse it gets. That's kind of what happened. Um, I'm sure there was a point to what I was saying. It was something like this. Yes, I can get religiously offended and go, God wouldn't do that because he's a God of decency and order and everything should be done decently in order. Or we can go, okay, that's not, that doesn't happen for me. What's wrong with them? Well, if it's not happening for me, that can't be God. As if I am the standard for what God does. <laughs> which is, Let's just laugh at that. But then there's the other one, which is a little more insidious for us, which is, that's not happening for me. What's wrong with me? And this is where we've got to be so, so careful. Because we can actually miss out on what God is doing because we get offended at the fact that someone else is getting something and we're not. And when someone else is getting something and we're not, it is a prime time. It's a prime opportunity where what you do with that moment either sets you up for your own encounter or moves you away. One of the things I've seen God do so often, it's happened to me, I'm sure I'm not the only one in the room that this has happened to, is there is a specific breakthrough that you need and you've been crying out for it for years and then one person next to you that's been crying out for 20 minutes gets it and you don't. (laughs) They get their breakthrough and you're still sitting there and nothing's changed. And you're like, what the? 20 minutes, 20 years. How come? Huh? Am I the only one that's ever had this happen or is this? Yeah, okay, thank you, bless you. I feel your pain, buddy, I really do. What you do in that moment, how you steward your heart in that moment is a critical moment because often your breakthrough lies on the other side of your offence. 
So somewhere in the Bible, in the Gospels, and I have it written here somewhere, there it is, Matthew chapter 15. I knew there was a reason I had a marker in Matthew chapter 15. Verses 22 to 28, and I've got to find a way to land this really soon. What did I just say? It was Matthew, yeah, there it is. (laughs) Thank you, Max. (laughs) Uh, Ah, there it is. So this is the faith of the Canaanite woman. So um, a Canaanite woman, verse 22, from that vicinity came to Jesus crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Can anyone relate to that? (laughs) That was kind of a joke. (laughs) Yeah, that's one. (laughs) Some days, yeah. Sorry, that was a little bit of a joke. Anyway, um, obviously it wasn't funny for this poor lady. And then, so get this, Jesus did not answer a word. So his disciples came and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. So here's the thing, this woman is crying out with an absolutely genuine need. Her daughter is demonized and suffering terribly and Jesus ain't answering. And the disciples are starting to get miffed and actually going, Jesus, like, Nick her off, get rid of her. Like, this is starting to get annoying. All this crying and screaming and hissing and stuff. It's getting annoying. Can you get rid of her? Now, imagine if you're the woman. So not only is Jesus not listening to you, but the disciples are also saying, can you just like get rid of her, please? They're not saying, Jesus, can you answer her prayer? They're saying, can you knock her off? So, <laughs> it's a bit of a delayed reaction. Anyway, um, So Jesus didn't answer a word, blah, blah, blah. So he answered, I was only sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. And he replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now, this is Jesus who is full of love and full of grace and truth. And this is how he is treating that woman. Now, if someone on one of our ministry teams did that to someone, I'd fire them on the spot. It's not cool. You don't seem to treat people like that. And then the woman says, yes, it is, Lord, she said. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. And Jesus said to her, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Here's the thing. Sometimes, it's not all the time, but sometimes Jesus puts our answer on the other side of a massive offence because he wants to know how much we really want it. He wants to know how hungry we really are because if we're not hungry enough, when we get the breakthrough, we're not going to steward it well. So he'll put the offense in the way to see how hungry you are. That's annoying. (laughs) Because I'd love to say I'm unoffendable, but I'm sure as heck not. (laughs) Sometimes as well, sometimes he will give you a prophetic word through a package, and by that I mean a human, a person that you really don't respect. But the word is real to see how is your heart going to be in this? Yeah, there are prophetic words over my life I could have so easily rejected because of the package they were delivered through. Yet they were confirming and were, ju- were exactly along the line of prophetic flows from really serious prophetic people. Not that this person or two was, you know what I mean? I get myself tied in knots around that. So the moment when you're offended, the moment you feel either offended at God, offended at the people around you, be careful because you could be just short of a breakthrough. So when someone else is experiencing stuff that you want, this was the entire time through the Toronto stuff, 92, 93, 94, and and so in the early 90s, I was solid as a rock. (laughs) You may remember this. I went to a whole lot of meetings going, God, just get me, please. And not a lot happened for me. Not a lot at all. Um, I was at a Christian Outreach Centre church not too long that would have been 1995. So I was right in the middle of all of that. And these were people that really knew how to minister the Holy Spirit. And I remember one, one meeting I went there and the preacher completely threw out his notes. And that was one of those occasions I sure wish he hadn't. But anyway, um, because yeah, anyway, it doesn't matter. 
And then we did an altar call. It's like, who wants a move of God? Who wants this? And so I thought, well, yeah, I want a move of God, so I'll come out. So there's about 25 people across the front. I'm about number 23. So I'm standing there like this, just in receive mode, just waiting. Now, one of the things you may notice about me is I'm fairly tall. I tend to stand out. And especially if my arms are in the air, it increases the standout factor. So there's not a lot of hiding. So the preacher starts at this end and just starts his, you and next one, falling down, falling down. And I'm watching this and I'm thinking, cool, this could be my go. This could be my, this is like, oh, this will be so cool, so cool. You know, it gets all of them, all of them. Yeah, we're getting to 19, 20, 21, 22, my turn. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this guy is pulling everything out of his kit. Like he's going, oh, my Lord. He's trying everything he knows to do, the poor guy. You know, and back then I didn't even know about the courtesy drop. <laughs> so if you don't... <laughs> The courtesy drop is you want the people praying for you to not feel bad, so you just kind of go down anyway, and, you know, well, God can meet you on the floor. And I didn't even know about that by this stage because I was really young in this stuff. So I'm just standing there like this, and so, you know, after a couple of minutes, he's like, oh, this guy's pointless. Let's just move on. And so he moves on, and then the next one, and then the next one, 24 out of 25, and I'm the one. So if you're feeling like this doesn't happen for me, I hear you. I've been that guy. It, it took me until... Hmm, so that would have been 1995. It took me until about 2006 before anything actually physical, tangible happened for me. Part of my thing was I was really stuck in my head. I know that'll be a deep shock to some of you. <laughs> I was really, really stuck in my head and I just thought about stuff way, way, way too much. And as a result, I just found it difficult to surrender to that kind of an experience. And so the, when it finally came, um, it was a Sunday night and one of my good mates was preaching and he had just had this massive encounter at a conference in South Australia and was coming back and releasing it all over us. And I don't know what it was, but there was something that just got under my skin. I could feel it. The, more, the longer he talked, I could feel God just getting in under my guard and I'm feeling kind of drunker and drunker and... Like, okay, this doesn't happen for me normally. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, this is good. And then finally afterwards, he and one of the youth came and prayed for me. And I was like, boom, down for the count. I was out and I was so affected that I couldn't drive home until about quarter to 10. I think the meeting finished about half past seven. Um, that was good. That was, that, that, was, that was a good night right there. Um, but that was like 11 years later. Now, I'm not saying it has to take 11 years. All I'm saying, if you're that person that feels like I struggled to enter into that stuff, it's okay. Now, I had lots of amazing... God touched me in really amazing ways that look nothing external. And that, that's kind of okay. Because, it's, again, I want to really emphasize, it's not about the external. It's actually about what God's doing in the heart. And like I said, someone could be doing all sorts of things externally and really there's nothing happening. And someone could be just sitting there absolutely dead still and be having the most incredible experience of the Father's heart. So we've got to take our eyes off the externals for so many reasons and focus on what God's doing in the heart. 1 Corinthians 2.14, it's a favorite verse of mine when it comes to this stuff. And um, then I really need to land this because there's soup. It is a supernatural night on so many levels. What was I looking for? Far out. 1 Corinthians 2. There it is. I kind of feel like my arms are not really working. Um, 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, if you're reading in, um, a newer version of the NIV, it says the person without the spirit. But the word there um, in Greek is the word sukakos. It means the person who's under the influence of that which is naturally and normally human. Okay, it's not bad. So it says, you know, the, man, the person without the spirit, that sounds morally negative. It's actually not that. It's actually just a person, the, the word literally means a person who is just under the influence of that which is natural and normally human. So the person doing that 
does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned through the Spirit. This is the key. Whenever you're looking at what God is doing and you're seeing him move on people, you can't discern it with your natural faculties. You can't make up your mind that God's moving, God's not moving. It's the flesh, it's the spirit, it's the soul, it's the this, it's the that, just by looking at the outside. Because our natural mind goes tilt when it comes to the stuff of the spirit. Yeah? Are we making sense? These things are spiritually discerned. So the moment we put on our natural mind, we try to analyze it, we try and work it out, we're going to, not only are we going to miss what's happening there, we're probably going to miss our own experience as well. So when God starts to pour himself out, we, we have an amazing opportunity as a kingdom family to have an environment of freedom. You know, I think Jane last week, I don't think Jane's not here, no, Jane last week, she was after church, she was standing behind the kitchen there and I came kind of, plodding up to the thing to get some food and Jane just laughed at me and went oh fearless leader <laughs> who was really leading tonight sure wasn't you <laughs> and I'm like isn't that exactly what we want <laughs> um, what we want is an environment of absolute freedom where he can do what he wants where where he really is operationally in control and what we want with that is nobody's left out and no one feels left out. Now, we have some of our own responsibility for our own heart in that. But as well, we want to pastor this well and not try and go, well, if that doesn't happen, then it's a bad meeting or any of that kind of stuff. That's, that's, that's not helpful at all. We, again, we don't judge it by what's happening on the outside. We don't judge the person sitting over there just kind of watching as, well, you're not entering in. And that, that's, that's not cool stuff. What we do want to do is increase understanding. We want to say questions galore are absolutely welcome. But we get to do kingdom family in an environment where his glory is tangibly moving. And we get to love each other in the midst of that. See, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. <laughs> clang, dong. He said, what did he say? It was really good. That's the one. So if I speak in the tongue of men and of... <laughs> I have men and of angels, but have not love. I'm bong. I'm a resounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. In other words, we can manifest all we like, but if we don't love each other in the midst of it, it means nothing. So, in the midst of all of this, you know, if God is touching you powerfully, then pray for people that God would touch him powerfully, but don't expect that it's going to look like you or it does for you because every person has their own unique relationship with God and some people receive so well in stillness and other people receive so well in chaos and that's got to be fine. So this is the time where we get to do all of our values well. You know, all the stuff around supernatural hunger and environment of his presence but also authenticity, love, fun, passion, adventure, all of those things. Now, let me finish with this. What, what's he doing right now? Well, that's a really good question. Um, when I was doing some floor time last Sunday, I heard the Spirit say to me really clearly, what I'm doing right now is a reawakening. What I'm doing right now is like, like a Holy Spirit defibrillator. You know those, the irons that you put on people's hearts when their hearts have stopped and goes poof. And it takes a heart that's not beating or not beating properly and actually shocks it into... And ooh, what he... Um, Jen, are you somewhere? Oh, do you want to come up? I'll join you in just a second. Um, hmm. Well, what he said to me is, I am increasing my manifested glory because there are people who have got parts of their heart that are, that are like stopped beating, have stopped dreaming because of, of shame, because of disappointment, because of bad experiences, because of pain of the past. And I'm, I'm increasing my manifested glory because I want them to experience like heaven's defibrillator to say it's time to come alive again. 
It's time that that pain, that shame, that disappointment no longer defined you and no longer put limits around your walk with him, no longer put limits about, around your ability to dream about the, de- the kingdom destiny that is on your life because free people dream. Free people dream and free people sing. It's, just, it's the nature of free people. And for some of us, it's not total, but there are parts of our heart that we've let stop beating out of, out of disappointment, out of shame, out of, whether it's our own failure or someone else's failure that's disappointed us. You know, whether it's, it's you know, yucky church situations or yucky family or life situations where we've just gone, you know what, going there is too hard. Going there is too painful. I don't, I, I don't know if I can walk through that. And he's saying, just come into my glory. Just come, oh, just... Oh. Just come into, into the environment of my manifested presence and let me just, let me bring that alive again. Let's stand. See, the heart of the Father is not to see many orphans come into church. His heart is to bring many sons to glory. Ooh. Mm. And look, if he's already ministering to you before I call ministry time, just go. Don't wait for me. Oh. Oh. We will see his goodness in the land of the living. You know, yeah, this light, we're not meant to just experience his goodness when we're in heaven. We'll see his goodness in the land of the living and, and his glory and his goodness are inseparable. And so when people start laughing, it's, it, it's a, and like I said, it's the natural response to his goodness. And when someone else is laughing and you're not, all your job is to go, thank you, Father, you're touching them. I bless what you are doing. Because in that way, you're setting yourself up for your own encounter. And it may be the same or it may not be as what's happening. That's not the point. This is all about the heart. Everything that we're talking about tonight is all about the heart. It's not about the externals. And he wants to set every single one of us for deep, deep encounter. We're actually born, created. We're actually hardwired for experience. Just like our physical faculties are hardwired for experience, taste, touch, smell, whatever the other two are. Feeling and hearing. Oh, man. Our spiritual senses are are wired the same. We're actually wired for experience. And for me, it took 11 years for them to really connect. But that's kind of okay. Because the 10 or 11 since then have been pretty fun. Sometimes. (laughs) And when they're not, I know where to go to get the joy back. So if you're carrying pain, disappointment, shame, failure, disappointment from past seasons, yeah, two songs that we did tonight were very deliberate. One was that Lazarus song, yeah, you came, I knew that you would come. Yeah, you sang, my heart, it woke up. Oh, this is what this season is about. Is him singing over us and our heart coming alive again. And sometimes when it does, I know I had an experience back in 2012 where I'd let part of my heart shut down and die because of pain. And I remember being, I was in the prayer room at Bethel on the floor and it's like the father reached down into my heart, right into the depths of my being. And he said, you've shut this part of your heart down because of pain, but I'm pulling it to the surface and I'm waking it up right now. And yeah, you kind of go, that was an amazing experience. Actually, it was horribly painful because I cried for about four days nonstop. But I got my song back <laughs> because there was a song in my heart that had died in that season And he gave me my song back. For some of you, he wants to give you your song back. And your song may not is not necessarily musical, but it's 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 the joy of your life. It's the things that you dream about. So if this is resonating with you, and you actually don't need 
a reason to respond. But we're just gonna, we're gonna sing this song. The other song was, you taught my feet to dance upon disappointment and I will worship you. There's some of us that need to do some dancing on disappointment and for some, it will be a natural response to his spirit and for others, it's going to be an act of prophetic faith because you're still in disappointment. time for some wakey wakey it's time for some wakey wakey I understand we're going to sing this song over you awake my soul to sing with your breath in me I will worship you taught my feet to dance upon disappointment and I will worship and just begin to respond if, if and you don't need a reason but if you have a reason just respond Maybe some of you that need to go, because I know we're already over time, but if you're staying for soup, it really doesn't matter because the soup will be awesome. But don't miss this moment because he's really serious about you waking up. He's more committed to your destiny than you are. Let the striving see. 